Hello, hello, hello. This podcast is brought to you by Pickled Onion Monster Munch. How's it going, everyone? <laughs> Pickled Onion Monster Munch. Love it, mate. Love that. <laughs> Your bragging rights continue. Let's have uh, it. Come on. They do. They do. The Arsenal ladies going out there, doing what was expected. Uh, yeah. I don't know if you caught the game. I caught most of the first half and it was pretty dominant. You know, yeah. I, saw, uh, I saw the highlights and I'm like, before the game had even started, I knew that, you know, Spurs ladies, as they're called, um, they're struggling in the top tier. They're not one of the greatest teams. The fact that they played at the new stadium was kind of nice for them, I guess, but they were never going to, I don't think they were ever seriously going to win. I think, you know, they would have taken the tie or the draw, as we call it, before the game started. So, Yeah, I'd probably agree with that. I mean, Arsenal ladies are like one of the original kind of... First oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Way before anyone else. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah congrats. Um, More bragging rights for Andrew. More bragging rights. More Come bragging on, rights. you gunner. Yeah. All right. Oh, All right. Yeah. Moving on. <laughs> Moving on. One of the things I think we'll talk about first um, is something that's kind of creeping into the game a little bit more and more. We're seeing more and more of it. And that is uh, the uh, comments made by good old Jared Bowen. Yeah. Shameful. Just, you know, every country and every league in the world and every organization involved in soccer right now is, you know, kick out racism and stamp out this. And, you know, everything is just, Everyone's working really hard to make sure this kind of stuff doesn't happen. And then one just, um, I'll keep the language nice and clean, but one just complete twat that has rocked the ship. And it's so sad because, uh, you know, he's playing for a team from a part of London that is very multicultural. There's a huge amount of the fans that pay for his salary every week are of an ethnicity. And for him to come out and say the thing he did is just stupid. Absolutely stupid. He's just set the you know, soccer back, back to the kind of darkest times. It's kind of stupid of him. Yeah, I've I've been talking uh, a lot about this uh, over the weekend. Um, a lot of people have... Uh, so, so basically, where I heard about it, I heard about it, a player, uh, Trevor Sinclair, uh, who was a, a former Premier League player, he was talking about it on TalkSport. Um, and it's a, you know, it's a tweet that was made 10 years ago. There's a lot of people who haven't experienced the racism who are talking about it and saying, oh, you know, he was a 15-year-old kid at the time and, you know, kids do silly things and, you know, he probably didn't understand what he was doing um, uh, and all of that sort of thing. And I'm not buying it. I'm just not buying it. At 15, you know, in the UK at 15, you can leave school. At 15, you're picking subjects that you want to choose that will help you in terms of your future career in your university. Absolutely. When you're a player, you know, 15, 16, you're signing schoolboy forms to go uh, and sort of work towards a professional football uh, career. Yeah, you you get your apprenticeship, as we call it. So you're making big life decisions at the age of 15. To, 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 To be able to say... Oh, you know, I've been able to do all of these huge, you know, all of these huge things at 15, whether rightly or wrongly, there are kids in the UK that are drinking. There are kids that in the UK that are staying out till 10, 11, 12 at night. Yeah. But then to say, oh yeah, but I didn't quite understand the connotation uh, of that word, or I didn't, I didn't, I didn't sort of mean to cause cause any offence or or anything like that is kind of ridiculous. You know, yeah, it's it's it, it's not nice. It's I mean, like you said, he's at that time he has full awareness of what he's doing. Absolutely he knows what the word means. He's grown up. He's no. He's heard the word a thousand times probably. Knows it's an insulting, derogatory word, and he's like, "You don't just throw that word around." It's 
Yeah. And, and it's, you know, he used it in context. So for those that don't know what we're talking about, basically, uh, Jared Bowen's a player who plays for West Ham, who, when he was younger, was speaking of a white friend of his who, quote unquote, acts black. So to, to, to be able to, to, be able to, to say that a player, uh, uh, you know, a white friend of yours acts black means that there's a stereotype that you're using for the way black people act. That's the first thing. So you're using stereotypes already. To then go out there and say, you know, when, you're, when, that, friend, when that friend of yours acts black and then say, hashtag N please, you're now using the N word in context with black people. So I'm sorry, you've used it in context. All of your comments have been in context. You know, um, people are saying, yeah, but he said it with an A, not with an ER. It doesn't matter. The amount of pain that is behind that word yeah. Yeah. Is, is, you know, is just unimaginable, you know? Um, it, and it's a used that's been it's a word that's been used to oppress, to divide, to put down, to shame, you know, uh, dishonor. However you want to put it, um, you know, a, a large group of people for a very very long time. So, you know, there's a lot of people who have been criticizing Trevor Sinclair because Trevor Sinclair was uh, recently done for racially aggravated language okay. while drink driving. <laughs> Double and, whammy. I'm, 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 you know, I mean, it's terrible. Uh, I'm not even sure how he still has a job at TalkSport, to be honest. Um, but um, he's, um, people are pointing fingers at him saying, well, he said this, he said this, you know, who, who, is, who is he to be able to criticize uh, Bowen when he's done something similar? Well, you could argue that he is a person to criticize Bowen because he's been through it. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's one side of things. One side of it, one side, yeah. The, the, the other side of things is why are we so quick to forgive Bowen for what he said because he didn't know what he was saying at 15 but we want to slaughter the black guy that said it when he was heavily under the influence and probably talking a load of rubbish and didn't know what he was saying yeah you know so it, it just this kind of double standard is uh, has been going on you know there's the whole Foden Sterling thing and, and you know Moving forward, do I think Bowen should be punished? No, I don't think he should be punished in terms of uh, fines. He shouldn't be fined. I don't think he should lose a contract. I don't think the FA should be banning him for any games. I don't think you can do that um, now. What, you, especially what kind of punishment are you talking about? I mean, like- when I, well, so when I talk about punishment, it's not really punishment. But what I say is, listen, mistakes are part of the, the learning process. You've made a mistake. Now you've got to own it. Now you've got to, you know, if somebody comes to you and says to you, that really upset me what you said, you apologize. I don't care that you've apologized one time. That one apology that you gave saying that it's unacceptable means nothing. Because to me, 10 years ago, it was still unacceptable. 20 years ago, it was still unacceptable. Yeah, 30 years ago, always, yes, it was unacceptable. Always unacceptable. So what, what happened over the last 10 years that now it's unacceptable? So your apology doesn't mean much to me. I want to see your action. You know, when people come to you and they, they tell you that they're annoyed that you said it, well, you're going to have to eat that. You're going to have to be humble. You're going to have to apologize. Anytime somebody wants an apology for it, you've got to apologize for it. You know, um, 
I'd like to see you get out into the community, go and serve community the community service of some kind, right? That, you know, the people that have been kind of targeted, you know, by racial abuse, and, you know, racial injustice, um, all of that sort of stuff. You've got to go out there. You've got to go and do the work. Go and show your face. Go and show that you're sorry by putting in the work. You know, yeah, absolutely. maybe even keeping it in the game. Can you get involved in supporters groups that are kind of ethnic minority based? Go and get involved with them and see what you can do to help them find out about their experiences. You know, the thing is, if these people say these things and they come out and they apologize, but they actually have no understanding of what it means to go through it. It's you know? a fake apology as well. It's like, oh, I'm sorry. Can I keep my job? Can I play it's soccer textbook. this weekend? Yeah, it's, it's textbook. It's and it's and it's annoying, you know. No, put him back in, like you said, put him back in the community, put him out there with those that are affected by his words, and say, hey, you're going to work with these guys, these young kids, so they don't make the same mistake, or they don't make mistakes. And he should do it with no complaint. You know, I, I don't want to hear you down the line saying, I've done my time, you know, I apologised. Well, listen, it's not good enough, you know, because there are people, I've been called an N-word while playing the game. I've been at games where someone's targeting me with racial, racial abuse. I've been in supermarkets where people, someone's called me a name. You know, it's shameful. It, you know, I can't even explain how it makes you feel inside, you know? So you're using that word. There's a, there's a, there's a, a, a player, there's a person of sort of ethnic minority out there that loves Jared Bowen. And now he's heard that Jared Bowen said something like that. You know, you've had an impact. It could be his on teammates. Life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Now you've got to work to get it back. You know, don't moan about it. You've got to do the work. Let's like say, I think he's not, you know, let's let everyone know, he's not an amazing player. He's, he's young, he's, talented, he's pretty talented. I don't know where his future lies. He's probably not earning a great deal. So to find him, like to hurt him financially, is not going to make much difference. But to get him out in the community, working with those that he's insulted, yeah, best thing. For, for a year. Not like two or three days. It's not like picking up trash on the highway. Get out there, get in your community, and, and mm -hmm. do some justice. It's, his name's always going to be tarnished now. People are always going to suspect that, you know, once a racist, always a racist. It wasn't just a phase I was going through. So sadly, you know, a young man's future is now kind of a little bit tarnished, and people will be like, well, you know, I don't want you in my team if that's how you feel. And I know it was, like you said, he was a kid, but still, he knew what he was saying, so... To be perfectly honest, I don't. I wouldn't even call him a racist. Yeah. He said something that's racially insensitive. Yeah. I don't necessarily think that makes you a, ra a racist. Fair point. You know, um, I, I just, I just think, you know, what you said will hurt people. It's hurt people in the past. It will hurt people now, and it's going to hurt people in the future. And you are going to have to just deal with it, bite that bullet, and you're going to have to apologize and do everything you can to make it up until the, that community, the you know, the, the ethnic minority community says. All right, you're off the hook now. And, and oh, yeah, he'll and, never be you know? off the hook. There'll always be, you know, new people that find out about it. I mean, you know, it's how long has it been out now? Maybe a week in the news. Yeah, yeah. and I found out about it two days ago. So in another two days, another few people could find out about it. Some yeah. action groups yeah. could find out about it. I mean, shareholders at West Ham, I mean, there's probably two of them. You know, they might force him out. And then who's going to want him? You know, who's going to want that kind of plan? I know he was 15 and it was a mistake, but he knew what he was saying and it's affected people and it's going to affect him and he's got to turn around and say hands up i made a huge mistake mm -hmm. um yeah it's it's kind of disgusting it i'm glad that it's come to light so people can see that it's you know even at that level it's still going on it's not just the fans that are yeah. racist there are players out there no there are yeah. a lot of players out there and it's kind of shameful yeah
I mean, there's the whole there's the whole Rangers thing as well. You know, the whole Rangers thing where you know a, a player's called a, another player a monkey on the pit on the on the field. Uh, we'll say allegedly. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, it just seems to be you know Aubameyang had a banana thrown at him a couple of yeah, years. Yeah, I remember ago. that badly. Sadly, the, the monkey charts yeah. in 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 different places across Europe and, yeah. and, and all this sort of stuff. And it's you know it it's it's got to a point now where. Um, where FIFA have got to do something yeah. about it. UEFA has got to do something about it. And I, I you know, the, the token fining doesn't it mean doesn't, anything. No. You know, if you if you want to get it out of the game, you've got to take drastic action. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're not going to get it out of society, no. but it, you but you'll remove it from yeah. the stadiums. You know, so if a player or a or, or, or you know a player reports to a referee that there's some sort of racial abuse going on, or a steward catches someone doing a doing some racial abuse, or, or it comes to light that there was some racial abuse in the game, then that team should have to play behind closed doors for ten games. So now you're not getting you're not getting gate receipts for ten for ten games. Um, you know, fans that want to watch their team can't come and watch their team for ten games. I will bet you the communities. Will sort out the racists real oh, quick, yeah, yeah. you know, because it's hurting their it's hurting their sort of uh, opportunity to go and watch their team. You know, somebody in the stands starts to say something racist. Someone's going to check them really quick because if they get caught, then you know that's ten games that you don't get to go to. You know, I think uh, national FAs should be um, should also be punished. So, for example, the whole Rangers thing. Um, I think it was um, Croatia. I think it Croatian was Croatia. Team that- yeah, Croatia, Serbia, one of the two, I think. So, yeah. So the team, the team involved, should be kicked out of the European competition and should be banned for a period of five years, just as a as a token number, five years. So it doesn't matter what you do domestically; you're not going to get. You're that, not going to be playing. That hurts Europe. them in the pocket big time. You know, absolutely. Even going into like you know. The old wafer cup, or as we're in it, that you know, or we was the Europa League. It's still good money. That buys another player. That buys that pays wages. Absolutely. You know, that's yeah. TV money. It's yeah. commercial. Who wants to like? Which you know, if you're a, a CEO of a company, why would you want to invest ten million in that team when they're not going to be on telly and they got some race issues? I don't want to be associated with that with you know head of ABC. Absolutely. I'm like, I don't want to watch that team. I don't want my name on their shirts because they've got some racism issues. And no, I don't want to be associated with it. And it starts hurting financially really badly. But I think, like you say, the FA needs to act like urgently, like ban people from soccer grounds for life. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that should be a given. I'm, I'm, if if that's not happening, I'd be I'd be shocked by that. I mean, in these in these kind of countries where this kind of stuff happens more often, the FAs don't act. You know, they find pittance amounts of money. So the UEFA should hold the 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 country's FA to account. You know, and maybe even all right, Croatia. You're now not going to be in Euro 2020, which is playing this summer. And we're going to ban you from qualification for the next two tournaments. Absolutely. It's the only way. You've got to make scapegoats out of these people. It's a massive yeah. It punishment. has to send the message. It's got to send the right positive message. We are working on it. We are acting on it. And this, we will not be tolerated.
moving on. The Premier League isn't playing this week, but um, I've heard a lot of people that have uh, uh, been criticising Aubameyang uh, because he scored in qualifying for the uh, African Nations Cup. You know, he had a he had a pretty good game. Uh, some of the clips, you know, he's he's just ripping people to shreds, using his speed, getting into spaces behind defenders. And so the opposite kind of, of what he does for Arsenal, then. Right. Well, so so this is this is this is what people this is what people are saying. Um, and uh, uh, you know the equiv- the equivocation is ridiculous. How can you how can you equate you know him playing against Guinea or him playing against you know someone where they don't have players at the top level, um, and the amount of space that he had on the field to be able to push the ball twenty yards past someone who had five yards on him and then run past them? You don't get that space in the Premier League. You don't get it in. You wouldn't get it in any top flight league, in any second, in any second flight league, to get that amount of space. So you know he had a great game. He scored goals. He he looked like him. Not, he looked like his old self. Yeah, and he was enjoying it. You know, and so as and, a fan, and, if, I, if I was an Arsenal fan, I'd be like, okay, hang on, fifty percent. Like, yeah, that's our boy. That's what he's showing he can do. But then the other half of the the other side of that Arsenal fan, the fickle side, is like, why isn't he doing that for us? And that's the thing. It's, it's the it's the fickle side. And you know, I love to address the plastics. It's funny because they say, why isn't he doing this for us? Why isn't he doing this for us? Why isn't he doing this for us? But I've actually done a little bit of research, looked at his stats. Um, and, you know, there's this idea that, um, oh, he didn't, he didn't score in the last few games. Oh, he's crap. He's crap. He's earning, he's earning this. He's got this new contract and he's earning this amount of money and he's, 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 he's switched off. He's not interested anymore. He's, he's a just skipper. He's a captain. And he's, yeah. oh God. It's just like, just shut up. You know, like seriously. Aubameyang this season, well, first of all, he's just recently scored um, a milestone, 300 goals in his career. There aren't many strikers in world football that have scored 300 goals in their career. So he's a goal scorer. You can't debate that. I'm sorry. I don't care how many goals he scored this season or whatever. His last 10 games doesn't decide whether he's a goal scorer or not. You have to look at the whole portfolio of work and his his work has said he is a goal scorer um this season he had uh, he had a poor run of form and 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 everybody's going to have a poor run of form you know there are strikers that go through it that go 10 12 games without scoring you know it happens but in his last 11 games he scored eight goals let me let me correct myself in his last 11 starts he scored eight goals. Okay. That's a good return. Very good return. You know, at any level, at, and even at youth yeah. level or semi-pro or college, that's, that's a great return from a striker. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm, I've I've looked looking at some of the statistics. He um, and I'm using Premier League and uh, Europa League statistics. Um, his scoring, or, well, let's say he's have goal action, so either a goal or assist, one one in every two games. Now, people people don't quite understand that's a great rate because they're going to look at people like your absolute hero, Harry Kane, yeah. and say, well, Harry Kane's doing a goal action or something like that every 70 minutes. And yeah, fine. You know, you can look at that um, as a, you know, as a comparison. That's fine. But when you, if you want to compare 
uh, and I've, and I, and this is what I hear a lot. He's not one of the top strikers. He's not one of the top strikers because you know his goal actions or his goal scoring or whatever is isn't isn't quite up there. If you want to kind of look at it like that, then look at the rest of the the rest of the stats. His average goals per game over his career is 0.62 goals per game yeah. across his career. Yeah, you know, um, and, and that's a that's a Phenomenal. That's a phenomenal rate of goals. He's a proven you know? goal scorer. Absolutely. At every level. And yeah, he's having a bit of a purple, a little bit of a sour patch right now. I just call it that right. purple patch. And to get on his back, I mean, I remember a long time ago when um, Gary Lineker, bless him, um, or Gary Leuniger, as Mick Shannon used to call him, he went like seven games without scoring. And everyone was on his back. Oh, this is supposed to be our greatest striker ever. And he's supposed to be, you know, the new Jeff Hurst. And like, people have patches of bad form. Like if a goalkeeper doesn't keep a clean sheet every week and then all of a sudden he lets in two goals in a game, it's, you know, people getting goalkeepers' backs all the time. Players are allowed to have purple patches. doesn't mean they're not, if they're on the field, doesn't mean they're not. I mean, there's times when Harry Kane has not scored a goal for three or four games, but he's assisting and he's in the team and he's a captain and he works hard because, you know, he knows it's not always about the goals. You know, when you, again, like you said, when you look back over his, his portfolio, he's a proven goal scorer at every level he's played at. From a young man, or he's still a young man, from a young man, through the, set, through the pro leagues, all the way up to where he's now, which is like kind of the pinnacle, unless he moves to know, Real Madrid or Barcelona tomorrow. You know, and he scores for his country. He's a proven goal scorer at every level. Just because he's missed out in the last, what, four or five games? Um, Hasn't yeah. even. He's, yeah. he's scored in the last four. It was, you know, when we went through that patch where we didn't win in kind of nine or ten games. Everyone looks at him. He obviously wasn't scoring. Yeah. You know, but uh, like I was saying, you know, People are looking at Harry Kane and 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 he's a top striker and Aubameyang's not 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 nowhere near that. You know, Aubameyang's only scored nine league goals compared to Harry, Harry Kane's Kane, seventeen yeah. league goals. Yeah. Okay, but if you look at their shots on target not, to their yeah. goal to their goal ratio, ratio both of them are fifty percent. Yeah. So half of the time these players hit the target, they score. Yeah. Aubameyang hits the target in with one time out of every two point six six shots compared to Kane, who's 2.91 shots. So Aubameyang hits the target more often than Kane does. Now, Kane tends to kind of pick the ball up and the way Spurs play, he picks the ball up and will shoot kind of from it from anywhere. He will try. He's got that ability. He will try his luck. And sometimes you get me like, yeah. He ends up shooting way more often than Aubameyang does. Aubameyang, because of Arsenal's style of play, they try to work it into the box before the strikers are, are getting on the end of it. So he's not he's not shooting from 20, 30 yards all that often. Uh, another set that I found uh, really interesting was uh, that Aubameyang's uh, shot on target rate is 37.5 compared to Kane's 34.5%. So they're very similar. They're very similar. One of the differences uh, between... You know, people will say, well, if they're so similar, why is Aubameyang not scoring that many goals? Well, he's not well, playing that much as well. So, <laughs> Kane has scored 27% of Spurs' goals this season. Aubameyang scored 18% of Arsenal's goals this season. So the goals are being spread around a little bit more at Arsenal. Um, but then also Tottenham scored more goals. So if you've got a player who is scoring more goals in a team that is scoring more goals, of course, he's going to score more goals. You know, you can't just look at the statistics where he scored nine, he scored 17. Oh, he's crap. 
it, it just makes it just makes no sense. And you know? you know, again, comparing them to even when Spurs are on a, a bad run, Harry Kane started every game. It's like, okay, we know we can turn this corner. We need our talisman. We need you on the field. We're not going to bench you because we haven't lost or we haven't won a game in five. And I think that's what happened to Arsenal. Like, okay, target man, you've not scored. Hit the bench. Let's let someone else but, have and, a go. And, so. and people and people are asking for it. People yeah. are saying, oh, let's let's drop him and let's play Martinelli. Why are you so desperate to drop a proven goal scorer? Yeah. And it makes Martinelli no, who, no yeah. sense to me. Yeah. It makes no sense to me whatsoever. You know, then you talk about them, you know, all right, he hasn't scored as many goals uh, and he's played in a few games recently where he didn't score. Does that mean that he's not having an impact on the game? What, because he's not picking the ball up and running at, uh, running at people, you know, taking on three people and, and, and that's, but that's not, that's not his game. You know, his game is subtle movements, find your space in tight areas, execute your finish. You know, I, I, I was looking at some of the goals recently. I'm just talking about his movement. Um, first of all, a lot of the time, Aubameyang tends to drift left. When he drifts left, he's pulling the fullback out a little bit, isolating the centre-back. So now the player that goes inside, when he comes out, is now isolated 1v1 with a centre-back. People won't understand that because they don't look at these things. A lot of people watch the ball and don't watch what's going on on, on you know on the field with the, with the other players. But then also when he pulls left, he's now creating the overload on that fullback because Tierney is going to go past him. So in terms of what he's doing to help the team attack, he's right involved in there. Just because he's not touching the ball doesn't mean he's not involved. You know, um, and I think fickle, at- fickle supporters don't dive that right. much into it because they're, they're scared of what they might find out. Like, right. Oh, he had, five, he had five touches in five minutes and never scored on one of them. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, but this is why <laughs> this is why fickle people that don't understand shouldn't talk. Yeah, but um, just looking at the goals against West Ham, um, there was a chance where um, Lacazette went in was kind of chipped the ball in as he ran in behind the defender and he's gone to lob the keeper. It's cleared off the line. Aubameyang starts the movement by coming off the defender into midfield to look for a ball. Now the defender's kind of hesitant. Should he go? Should he not go? And as he's looking to kind of step forward, Lacazette spins in behind him. So that movement towards the ball is now disturbed the defender. Defender's not sure what to do. The minute they start to step out, there's spacing behind for somebody else to go into. Um, looking at um, the second goal for Arsenal, um, the own goal, as the, as the, as the build-up's happening, he's pulled left onto the, onto the fullback. Um, and then we get in behind the defence, the cross is whipped in, and at that point, he's making a move across the fullback, and now he's in a position where if the ball beats the keeper, he's got a tap-in. So that defender now has to try to cut that cross out. Because if you don't cut the cross out, it's, it's getting to yeah. Aubameyang and he's putting it in the net. Yeah. So he now he's trying to get, you know, cut the cross out and he ends up putting it in his own net. You know, that is the impact of having a player in the position. He didn't touch the ball. It's the impact of good movement off the ball. Absolutely. When we're coaching, you know? it's like, what can you do off the ball that makes a huge difference to our team? Can Absolutely. you can you pull a defender out? Can you pull a defender? up so there's space behind them so you know it's hard we, we work with a couple of strikers one of your players um this week about you know making sure that we're always proactive when we don't have the ball we never switch off we're always looking in he's a great player like that you can always see him 
again, checking his shoulder. Where can I be right now? If I don't have the ball, how can I impact my, my teammate with the ball? That's going to get a positive result. And he's good at that. He's great at it. Like you said, then goals came. He's, he's in the box. He's not just standing still waiting for it to hit his leg and go in the net. He's creating space for his teammates. He's putting himself in a position where he might get an easy goal, a shot on target. So, you know, his movement off the ball is fantastic. Okay, yeah. he might not score every goal, but if you're winning, who cares? Yeah, I absolutely. I mean, I'll challenge any Arsenal fan now that thinks Aubameyang should be dropped to go and watch the, the game against Olympiacos where we won 3-1. And in that game, Odegaard has a chance where the ball's cut back to him and he, he pulls it wide. But have a look at why Odegaard has that much space on, uh, you know, on, on the pullback. Aubameyang's making a run yeah. near post, yeah. pulling that defender right up, pulling that defender backwards towards him, which opens up the space for Odegaard. Um, there was another one where, in fact, Odegaard's goal, the ball gets, the ball gets turned over because we were pressing high. We won the ball back from them trying to play out. As soon as we win the ball, Aubameyang bang into space. And so as he comes running into space, the midfielder, the, the holding midfielder that should press Odegaard is now checking his shoulder. Where's Aubameyang? And he's getting in Aubameyang's line of pass, so Aubameyang can't receive the ball, but that just which gives Odegaard up. the time, yeah, and the space to and tee the channel, up yeah, and drive it and yeah. score. The El Neni goal, okay, where Neni yeah. shoots from outside the box. He picks the ball up on the inside left, where Socrates is the the centre back, and Aubameyang's by uh, by uh, Socrates. As El Neni drives forward. Aubameyang pulls wide off um, Socrates and Socrates follows him. Now, because he's followed him, because he's worried about Aubameyang receiving the pass, Elneny's now got that tiny little bit more time and space. As Socrates follows Aubameyang, he now, he's now passing responsibility over to the other centre-back. Centre-back doesn't react quickly enough. Elneny can get the shot away. Yeah. Watch the keeper's reaction. The keeper's reaction, he goes mental and he's asking for you to get close, get tight. But when the movement around you is so good, it's impossible can, to get tight. Can do. Right? And so, you know, I would challenge uh, any Arsenal fan, go look at Arsenal's goals and look at the, look at the role Aubameyang's playing in the goal. Spend some you time know? actually looking at Aubameyang rather than the person with the ball. If you, obviously, they're going to watch it again. They know where the goal's coming. They know the moment it's going to come. But actually, just like blur out everyone else and just see the movement of Aubameyang because it creates so much space, it creates time, and it creates opportunities. And as a striker, those are three of your, your, your pillars, as we talked about last week. Creating opportunities. First rule of like attacking football, penetration, get behind defenders, create opportunities, create chances. And he does that with just a couple of movements to the left, a couple of movements to the right. Like, he, like I said, the Odegaard um, one, it was because he pulled off. He, Odegaard said, hey, there's a lot of space there for me if I can just, yeah. yeah. It's, know, so, yeah. it's critical thinking for players that, you know, don't be scared like to go three or four games without scoring a goal. As long as yeah. you're working for your team, the goals will come back. I mean, he'll, he'll start, he's a proven goal scorer. He'll, he'll start scoring again. Oh, I've got no doubt about it. You know, Valuable uh, player. Uh, so Yeah. And, and just, you know, it, it, you, you can't just judge a striker on their statistics. 
you know, on their on their goal scoring statistics, especially especially, you know, they do a lot more to occupy other people to create spaces and chances for other people, you know. And I think Aubameyang is, you know, over the seasons has been a very good player for Arsenal. He deserves more respect. Um, so Arsenal fans out there. Um, rather than throw your toys out the pram and complain that he didn't score this game. Oh, he didn't score. He didn't score. Have a look at the body of work. Have a look at what he's doing in games where he isn't scoring. Is he standing still just doing nothing? Is he occupying someone? If he's standing he's still... occupying someone, yeah. he's valuable. If he's standing that. still and doing nothing and just a dead weight in the team and people are having to carry him and you're losing... Fair enough. But if he's on the field and he's doing all the work he should do as a player, as a professional soccer player, all that movement, and you're winning and he's still not scoring, sad, sad fickle Arsenal fans. And it's the same, you know, when Harry Kane's not scoring or Song's not scoring. Oh, what's wrong with them? They need a break. So, no, we're still winning. We're still scoring goals. We get goals from other areas because our players are working hard. I've got no problem with Harry Kane getting two or three goals without a game as long as we're winning. It's a team sport. And if Song scores the goals or Lucas Moura is going to score the goals or even the Welsh wizard, um, you know, we'll see. It's it's all about movement. And it's, at the end of the day, it's a team sport. And if he's not scoring, but the team's successful, the goals will come. It's just a confidence thing. It's not like he's not working hard. Yeah. So. Let's uh, let's segue to yeah. that, Welsh, that Welsh wizard of yours. Eh? Uh, His, uh, his delightful comments uh, in the uh, in the press the other day. Again, you know, be careful what you say. I mean, obviously, I, I guess, so for listeners out there, Gareth Bowers come out and said, I'm just using Tottenham to keep fit for the Euros. Just excellent work. Well done. <laughs> the, the hero. Keep it to yourself. The hero and the absolute kind of god of the club has basically yeah. said, ah, I'm just here for fitness, and, yeah. uh, and a couple to, of rounds of golf with the boys. To, to get um, to get my uh, to get my fitness up and to get you know a little bit game sharp because yeah. I wasn't playing at Real Madrid, so that I can uh, I can make the uh, Welsh team for the Euros, and then after that I'm going to go back to Real Madrid for Real Madrid for the last year of my contract. I think I think what he's hoping is that by the time that's all over, re- the revolving door of coaching at Real Madrid, there'll be a new guy and he'll get a new chance. But. Firstly, I mean, Daniel Levi is a really shrewd... You ever love him or you hate him? I'm kind of right stuck in the middle sometimes. I'm okay, I'm a, the world. I'm okay with hating him. Yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we've got one of the world's best stadia that's empty right now and it's costing us a lot of money, sadly. Um, and I'm worried that we're going to have to sell Kane or Song just to pay for a season's worth of missed soccer. Um, so when he signed that contract with him and Daniel Levi must have looked him in the eye and said... This is only for a year. We're going to pay you a hell of a lot of money. You better score some goals, get us into Europe, win us a cup, and then I don't care because it's a year. But there's also, because he's such a shrewd guy, there's an also that addition, hey, we could pay out your contract and actually sign you and you can spend the rest of your life at time. I don't think he wants to. The fact that he left us as soon as the Magisters came in, he's like, yeah, bye, see ya. 85 million. It's always been a dream of mine. So I'm kind of not surprised that it, it, he's come out and said that. I think it happens a lot. I remember players coming and say, I, I just need to get back on my fitness. There's a big European tournament coming up and I'm putting my country first. And I'm totally okay with that. It's just, I think it's the timing more than anything. Yeah. You know, um, it's, he's a great player. He's just had a little great purple patch of games where he's assisted and scored and he's never going to be back to the same as what he used to be. Never. He's never had that injection of pace. He's still got an amazing skill book and technical stuff. Um, but for him to come out and say, hey, I'm just using Spurs. 
Again, the next time when he comes back from beating San Marino or Abazajan this week, they lost, I think, right? Didn't they lose? But they lost. Wales lost. Yeah. They lost 3 1. Yeah. To Belgium. To, to Belgium. So yeah. fair enough. Um, I'm sure the Spurs boys gave him a bit of a hard time, especially Toby. Um, like, you know, next time he walks into that dressing room, he's just lost the tiniest bit of respect from some of those pros, like Harry Kane. I appreciate what you're doing, country first, because I love playing for England, says Harry Kane, kind of thing. But at the same time, just. You know, you don't have to go out and say it. He's just lost a certain percentage of respect from his fellow professionals the next time he walks in that change room. You're just here for your country. You're not here for your club. Help us win a tournament. Yeah, I don't know why. Yeah, Especially especially on the back of all of the stuff that that happened with Lloris coming out and saying what he's said, you know, yeah. and Mourinho's comments about, um, you know, the, the performance against Arsenal. We're the mighty Arsenal one, by the way. <laughs> uh, and um, Still just, um, just uh, there was also uh, the team selection for the Villa game where, where there was loads of players that were out conveniently because of injury. Some just dropped to the bench and that kind conveniently, of thing. Conveniently, fingers. Uh, yeah. Quote, you know? unquote. Um, and so, uh, but again, like you say, I'm not surprised about it. And this is where I get to say, I told you so to all of those Spurs fans out there that I've spoken to about this. Um, when he first signed, uh, people were like, oh, it, oh Harry, uh, I mean, sorry. Oh, Gareth Bale, Gareth Bale. He's coming back. He's coming back. Oh, we're going to we're gonna do this and we're going to win the league and we're going to be up there in Champions League. And, and, and it's we just like- We could have 10 Gareth Bales. So we wouldn't win the league. Right? <laughs> Gareth, Bale, Gareth Bale hasn't, he hasn't played properly in 18 months, two years. At a high level, consistently he's, and performing, he's, he's he's constantly breaking down. And the funny thing is, I swear, as he signed, he had a knee injury. He did, yeah. So it's like, but he's injured now, and you've signed him, and you're not. He's not going to be able to play for the first month to six weeks. Yeah. Um. He hasn't trained properly in God knows how long. Bumps, doesn't bumps. he? Hasn't been involved in any of the Real Madrid games. Doesn't go to watch him. He just goes to play golf. Yeah. What makes you think he's going to be anything close to the player that he was? Where he's no. not been able to kind of work with intensity for any kind of built up kind of period. What makes you think he isn't going to spend most of his time injured, which he spent most of his time injured? Yes. You know, it took him. Yeah, we signed him, like you said. We knew, And then all of a sudden, oh, he's not available this weekend. He has a niggling knee injury from this. You know, but we knew that. That's fine. Okay, tick that box. We knew he was injured. Fine. We'll give him four or five games, 10, 15 minutes here. You know, some Europa game he came on and did okay. And then he scored the winning goal. I think it was against Brighton or a tie goal. Yeah. So he started coming back nice and slowly. And everyone started getting a little bit excited. He's coming back. He's coming back. And me included, super fickle Tottenham sports sometimes. And just for him, like, to turn around and say, I'm just using Tottenham right now. <laughs> he stopped laughing. <laughs> Stop laughing. Um, again, you can, he's going to walk into that change room, look at like some seriously good professionals. Oh, Hugo man. Lloris, Harry Kane, like Lucas Moura, who's just missed the Tottenham right now, just love him to death. They're going to look at him and say, no, I'm not interested in talking to you. Man. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's, he might as well go and have a cup of tea and a couple of biscuits with Jared Bowen because they've just lost all the respect of their teammates. I know he's speaking the truth and like a lot of, I can't name some other players, but I know there's some players like I need to get my fitness. So I'm going to get a free transfer. I'm going to go and train with this club so I can get fit to play for my country. And there's always this thing, and we could talk about this for hours, the club versus country realm. You know, how was, I think it was, wasn't it John Barnes was fantastic for Liverpool. 
but atrocious for England. Apart from that one goal against Brazil that Brazil yeah. will never forgive it's him pretty, for. It's a pretty special goal, to be fair. It's a pretty fantastic goal. John Barnes <laughs> versus Brazil. Go go YouTube it, kids. It's in colour as well, so you'll be fine. Um, yeah, I just I'm kind of lost a little bit of respect for him, and he was just starting to kind of turn the corner. I'm like, okay. Again, he's no Gareth Bell of the old days, but he's performing nicely. He seems like he's enjoying his soccer again. You know, he's there with Ben Davis and they're doing the whole W thing when they score and, you know, for wows or whatever that means, the W. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's just nice to see him playing soccer with a smile on his face and working hard. And I just wish he'd have kept his hands off the keyboard and his mouth shut. And if he did it at the end of the season, I'm going back to Madrid and then had a great Euros with wows, which could happen without it, but I'd be okay with that. But to come out halfway through, you know, um, just because it's an international break doesn't mean you get a break from being a professional. And it's kind of like soured his relationship because half the Spurs fans, his relationship with us is always sour because he left the way he did. I've always wanted to play for Madrid. I've always wanted to play for Madrid. It's every boy's dream. I'm like, no, it's not every boy's dream. It was my dream to play for Tottenham in England. Never going to happen. Um, so for him to say that, he always had a little bit of a sour, left some Spurs fans with a sour taste in their mouth. And coming back, some of those fans are like, okay, I'll give you this opportunity, but you better score amazing goals, get us to a cup final, win us a trophy and stay with us forever. And that was never going to happen. It was a loan deal, a high profile, high expense loan deal. Yeah. Very expensive. By the way, very the, expensive. the whole W thing, I can think of a few words that, that, <laughs> yeah, I know. that it means. <laughs> but, um, Walkers, Chris. Yeah, Walkers, Chris. <laughs> uh, or you could turn up to a monster <laughs> munch. Um, Pickled onion, mate. The, uh, yeah. I, uh, f- it's really funny for me because, I know it's in turmoil. Spurs doing everything they can to just be in turmoil. It is just is so so. I want to know. Um, I want to know who to email at Cambridge. I'm sure it's Cambridge or Oxford to find out how to get Spursy officially put in the English grammar and dictionary. Because every year they have a new list of words that they can put in there. Right. I want Spursy in there. Oh, sorry, I didn't do my work today, boss. I was a bit Spursy. Spursy <laughs> definition would be. Uh, doing everything you can to absolutely bottle it and throw away all the good yeah. work that you've done previously. Yeah. Um, and then we have to explain <laughs> to people what bottle it means, like to lose your nerve. <laughs> to lose your nerve, yeah. yeah. To f- my, as my dear old dad would say, to fill one's pants. <laughs> yeah, right. I, um... And those are underpants. <laughs> <laughs> He's pebble dashed. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. A bit graphic there. Yeah. So, graphic. yeah. Sorry, Mr. Bow. Um, Gareth or Boyle. Um, I'm okay with you leaving at the end of the season, whether we win a trophy or not. Um, and it, obviously, our only chance right now is to try and beat Man City in the Carabina Cup or whatever it's called. Mm. Um, but no, you shouldn't, you shouldn't have said that, even though probably most professional soccer players know that's what's going to happen. And I'm sure deep down inside, the people at Tottenham know that's going to happen. The Jose's, the Daniels, all the people. But, you know, for your fans, the people that are actually paying your wages, so to speak, you should have just kept that to yourself. It's so, just so question. Question. Yeah. If, if uh, Real Madrid agreed to terminate um, Gareth Bale's final year of his contract, would you have him at Spurs? I would, because there's always opportunity where he's going to score some mar- marvellous goals. He's still, he's only, what, 27? Is he 27, 28, I think? I don't know. I think he's older than that. Um, he might be a little bit older. He started so young when he had those big ears and at Southampton, bless him. <laughs> and he looked like one of those, he looked like a singer from that, um, we are young, we are free. <laughs> he looked like a mix of Planet of the Apes and the Oasis Brothers. He was kind of like, 
Uh, and I remember Harry Redknapp saying, you know, you're a terrible defender, but when you go over the halfway line, you remind me so much of like some other world-class yeah. player. Yeah. I, so yeah, I think to answer your question, I would like to see him see out. He's 31. He's 31. So he's still in his prime for his position. Yeah. He's still a good player. I mean, I think Teddy Sheringham was still scoring world-class goals at 33, 34. Mm-hmm. I love Teddy Sheringham. And I think different player, obviously different time. Um, yeah, I would like to see him stay. Isn't he that Man United legend? Well, when we sold him, like Berbatov as well, right? Another legend, Berbatov. So I would have Gareth Bell back. I don't think he's worth as much as what he thinks he is these days. And I think that was, you know, us selling him for 85 million and then Madrid paying him a million dollars a year. You're never going to recuperate that money. Once you sell someone for a record amount, bringing them back, they want the same money. And so I would have him back because I still think there's, there's some magic in the old Welsh wizard somewhere. Fair enough. Obviously not on his social media. Though. We should just <laughs> yeah. keep his hands just, off the old time. Yeah, right? just shut up. Yeah, don't yeah. speak. Just, just like play. him and Jared Bowen. Bad <laughs> way. Keep your, keep your voices down. Absolutely. Keep your fingers behind your back. So. Yeah. But I would have him. Yeah, okay, so. okay. Well, so, would you? Um, no. <laughs> I wouldn't. Um, first of all, the affiliation with Spurs. <laughs> Second of all, um, the... Uh, the fact that he's been dug out by uh, Mourinho for not working hard enough in training. Um, I, yeah. know, I don't want any of that anywhere of... near my squad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no for me. Yeah. Um, but All let's right. let's uh, let's yeah let's move on. Let's push on. So let's talk uh, youth soccer. Yep. Um, you've got uh, a, a topic that's near and dear to your heart that you'd like to uh, to talk about. So let's crack yeah. on. Yeah. Um, some of you listeners might know I'm a, I do a lot of private coaching, one to one, small group training. Actually, work with some of Angelo's um, great players just on some individual stuff that they're obviously not getting when they're coached by you. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Mate. Um, and I'm doing a great job. I love it. And just recently, I've had three or four, and I'm talking about girls who were born in 2005. Uh, year group, age group, come to me and say, I no longer want to be this player. I want to be that player. Now, that's fine. If you say, I want to go from being a two or a three to a four or five, or from a six to an eight or a 10. Very similar skills. But these young ladies actually want to stop being goalkeepers and turn into defensive or attacking midfielders. So my first sessions with them, we're striking the ball and it's like watching, I'm trying to, I teach the girls that my left leg is very old. It's 48 years old. My right leg is terrible. It's like a baby. It's like a newborn gazelle. I can't kick with my right foot. I'm terrible. I'm so dominant on my left foot. And then I'm watching these young ladies. To be kick fair, the ball. your left foot's a bit like that, though. Hey, easy target. <laughs> easy target. Easy. I'll nut maybe you the next time I see you in the safe ways, I'm telling you. Um, so these girls are like, you, I don't want to be a goalkeeper. Nutmeg, anymore. nutmeg the spice. You'll buy some nutmeg. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 mate. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just, it's crazy to me. And my, so these girls are 2005. They go to very different high schools. They play for good clubs. Uh, I know both the coaches. I'm sure they'll be very angry with me if these two kids turn into be great midfielders because <laughs> they've just lost pretty decent goalkeepers. Right. Um, but I'm putting food on the table and beers in the fridge, so I don't really care. Um, <laughs> but watching these two players hit the ball, it, they're, they're goalkeepers. So they punt the ball really hard and fair and straight like a golfer. Mm-hmm. Um, so my question is, and we're both youth coaches with great experience, different age groups, at what age apart from like turning from a goalkeeper to a striker, at what age can kids start thinking about, okay, I've played in three positions. Now I need to start thinking about being more consistent 
and strong in one or two positions. I always tell players, be strong in three positions. You're more valuable to your coach. Especially if you're like a six, and eight, a 10, like an attacking player. You're either an attacking player or you're a defender. Goalkeepers are very out there on their own. So that's the question. At what age do you think kids should start specialising in a, in a position? Yeah, it's... Um... It's, a, it's an interesting it's an interesting topic um, because I've I've had players I, I always try to teach both sides of the ball so if you're a fullback you know primarily I'm going to teach you how to defend how to defend individually in a one v one how to defend how to defend when you're overloaded but then how do you defend in relation to your unit so you know your your midfielder in front of you the centre midfielder inside your centre back your back four. But then I also want to teach you the attacking side of the game. You know, how do you provide the width when we're going forward? When's a good time? What's the, what are the triggers to start pushing, pulling wide? Yeah. What you know, that triggers kind of are thing. important. Yeah. And so, one of the things that I've used um, to kind of, especially with young players, very young players, players tend to have a gravitation. They have a gravitate towards the defensive side of the game, or the gravitate towards the offensive side of the game. Yeah. There's um, no middle ground, and I mean the, the, the tends to the really tends to it's really sensible, really sort of uh, technically minded players or tactically minded players that can do that do the, the both, especially from a younger age. You know, people with a, a, a higher level of understanding. I play a game where, and it's a scan. It's a scanning game. It's a game to get people checking their shoulder, but it also tells you what the kind of uh, the, the mindset of the player. So basically you hold the ball in one hand and you're not allowed to change hands. You're not allowed to hold the ball. Like with the second hand, you basically got to balance the ball on one hand. Everybody in an area is doing it. The aim of the game is to use your free hand to knock someone else's ball off while keeping your ball from falling off your hand. You're not allowed to tuck it into your body. You're not allowed to hold it against your body. It's just your hand. And what you find is offensive-minded players go after other people's ball. The whole risk-reward yep, is, is, is high. You know, in terms of risk, I'm going to risk it, but the payoff is going to be great because I'm going to get, you know, if I get it right, I knock that person's ball off and I'm still in the game. But then you get the defensive-minded players who the reward is not risking. Losing their ball. So they will shield the ball. They'll push people away. They'll, you know, they'll kind of turn their back on the on people. You know, back themselves into a corner kind of thing. Uh, run around and kind of keep themselves moving away from people, but won't actually attack anyone. Um, and then you've got then you've got the players who kind of tactically are a little bit more kind of un- have a better understanding, who understand that. I can go for your ball, but if I check my shoulder first to make sure there's no one there, then I will knock your ball off and I've, I've kept my ball safe. Um, and so, um, you know, using that, you can tend to get uh, an idea of what what the player's kind of um, personality is. Yeah. And so... Uh, what, and your, your girls are 2005. Right. right? Your, your club team. Yeah. So would you try that with... Uh, age, like my daughter's age like 2008 I would do it with young I would do it with young kids I would do it with uh, nine ten year olds and that kind of thing you know um, and this isn't me saying oh if you're a defensive minded person in that game I'm going to make you a defender you know when we're when we're coaching players we're, we're trying to create a football player a soccer player 
we're not trying to create a right back or we're not trying to create a striker, you know, but, you know, there are tendencies that players have, which helps when you're kind of putting together their path for development. Um, I don't think you should kind of start to, to pigeonhole a player or fix a player in a position until the tactical emphasis on the game starts to, starts to get greater. Because the, the whole tactical understanding of things um, feeds a lot into how you play a position. Um, and I also think, you know, let's say at 13, we say, right, you're going to be the back four for the season. We're going to teach you how to defend as part of a back four. Um, and we're also going to have you teach you how to get forward, the times to get forward, because we want you wide to put crosses into the box, for example. I would, at the end of that season, if they've been successful on both sides of the ball, give them a new position. You know, it doesn't mean, okay, you're not going to go and play in goal. You know, what you'll say is, you've done a really good job in the wide area, in the defensive. You could push up and be a seven or 11. Why don't you push forward and play right wing this? this? So now you, yep. the emphasis is more on the attacking side of the game than it's on yep. the defensive side. Yet they still know how to right. get back get the defensive shape, win the ball in the, in the middle third exactly. or the defensive third. But they also have that attacking third influence now where they can get wide, get crosses in and penetrate. Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's really important. And for players out there, when you're in a training session and your coach stops the training session and is basically speaking to a player and then speaking to the immediate players, the first line players, what I call them, uh, players that are, you know, immediately close. And then they start to speak to the second line players, those players that are a little bit further away. Don't switch off. Listen to what they're saying. To play the game effectively, if you can rotate your positions in game and play to a shape rather than play to a position, you're going to be able to create a lot more chaos in your opponent. Um, and so if I'm a right winger and I see that the um, the attacking centre midfielders coming coming over to my, to my side of the field, if I go and take their side of the field, now what do the markers do? Do they pass them on? Do they follow them? You know, uh, if the if the if the forward drops deep in to come and receive it from midfield as a right winger, I start to run in behind them and become the the, the centre forward. What you know? What does the defence do? Yeah, and you create just that little bit of kind of confusion, a little bit of chaos. So you should, when when we coach youth players, we should be coaching so that players can positionally rotate, and so players need to be switched on and listen to all of the information you're given to everyone. And again, we've spoken about this before, repetition, making sure that you're creating the environment for players over, to position and rotate in yeah. training so yeah. they understand what they're doing in the game. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, when I was last Sunday, when I was out coaching 2009, 2010, 11 and 12 girls, um, super young, full of enthusiasm, didn't really care about the weather, just wanted to get out there and play, learn something new. And uh, this is after like eight months and or 16 weeks, actually, uh, of training sessions with them every Sunday night in the pouring Portland rain, freezing cold. <laughs> and I said to one young lady, I need you to go in for five minutes as a striker. And she's like, why? I said, because I want to get you on the field for five minutes. But I've never played striker before. I said, today's your lucky day. Just go on. All you got to do is like keep the ball, shoot or score or pass to your teammates. Just don't give the ball away. And when we lose it, get back. Do a little bit defended. It's five minutes. You'll be fine. She went on first touch, bang, back of the net. She goes, I like this being a striker. I said, we usually play in defence. But your age, when you know, if coach says to you at your age, will you just go on for five minutes and do this job? 
90% of the kids that I know will turn and say, I don't know how to. And that's fine because they're super young. They're, they're 10, 11 years old. And maybe their coaches, not to speak bad of their coaches, are very one-dimensional. No, you're an out-and-out striker because you're fast and you can shoot straight. Oh, great. You can shoot straight. What happens when you're outside the box to the left? Can you curl a ball in? Can you use different techniques? Can you be tactical without the ball? Go back to a Birmingham. What are you doing off the ball? And so the majority of these kids are fantastic. You just put them on the field and just, okay. And I, I did it for the first game. I'm like, okay, I need three defenders to stand behind me. And none of them wanted to stand behind me because they're all midfielders or strikers. Okay, the thing is about midfielder, you're actually a defender because when you don't have the ball, you're behind it and you're picking up a player. You just further up the field. So you, 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 seven, eight, nine, go, stand behind me. Like, right. They absolutely killed it. We run the game 4-0, kept a clean sheet. They worked really hard. And like, I like defending. It's kind of cool because it's physical, coach. I'm like, great. And then the three girls that um, I put up front, we were playing like this free, free system. I'm like, just go, just work hard together, create little triangles, get behind the defenders and take your shots. I, I, I learned this from you, actually, a long time ago. I said to my girls, I don't want you to go out and win the game. I want you to go out and set targets. I want you to put at least five crosses in and have five shots that have to. the goalkeeper has to save. And they're like, why? Don't you want us to win? I said, just stick to your targets. And I think I learned that from you uh, when we did ODP together. Yeah. 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 Don't worry about winning. Yeah. Worry about setting targets and reaching goals. Focus on the process and yeah, you're absolutely. more likely to achieve. And these are like 11-year-old kids and they absolutely killed it because the girls on the bench are like, you're in charge of counting. Okay, I'm not going to do any joysticking. I'm just going to let the girls play nice and freestyle, let them do what they need to do. But they need to hit certain targets. Five crosses in 35 minutes and five shots in 35 minutes. That's like one every five or six minutes. And they killed it. They had like seven shots in the first 10 minutes because they were just super excited to reach a target. And we, we, won, we won the game quite easily. Really good game. Um, and the girls said, are you going to set us targets in the next game? I said, every, every time you step on a soccer field, you have targets. Goalkeeper, I've got to keep a clean sheet. Sent them in. I've got to win my aerial battle strikers. I'm getting my shots on target. And if you start setting those simple and realistic smart targets at any age, you care less about the wins and the losses and the victories. You care about, okay, my target today is I'm a wide player. Get as many crosses in. Beat that last man. Look up. Decide which kind of cross to put in. So it's funny to see like younger players these days saying, oh, I'm a striker. I'm, I'm an out-and-out striker. All I do is score goals because that's all my coach wants me to do. I'm like, why don't you try midfield? Learn a little bit more at your age. It's all, again, it's development. Why would you want to pigeonhole a 10-year-old girl and, or a boy, any athlete in any sport, and say, no, you're a point guard in basketball or you're a pitcher? Especially these kids haven't even developed their physical size yet. Exactly. You know, and it goes back to the whole conversation about playing up and playing down. Some of these kids, yeah, you're, you're going to play up front because you're really tall and fast. And like, if you're really tall and fast, that would make you a great centre mid. That would make you a great centre half, number five. So it's funny, you know, there is a, I think the question we should ask is at what age do we start talking to these kids? And then last week we talked about the pillars, learning about tactical, technical, emotional, physical, you know, the certain pillars. When you start talking to these kids at 10, like, okay, we need to keep our shape. They're like, what is our shape? And they're all excited because they think we're going to say it's oblong, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's oblong shape today. It's a sour patch gummy. A one. nice osceles triangle. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the what? I saw a what? I saw a sausage. It sounds like a dinosaur. But it's great when you see these little kids' face and these young players' faces light up. Because you tell them they did a great job for 20 minutes in a position they've never played before. One of my girls made, um, she's a fantastic player. She plays up in Salmon Creek, a really physically strong young lady. Very one-dimensional, gets the ball, runs the corner flag, and then puts in great crosses. I said, you need more than that if you're going to be an outside mid, though. You need to be able to cut inside, look up, at the, see what a goal is. So I played her for three games as an outside back, and she loved it. 
the fact that she won the ball in the defensive third, took over the halfway line, played a couple of little given goals, and then actually was crossing and shooting the ball from further inside the field rather than on the byline by the corner flag that her coach has her done. And so she's like, I kind of like that outside back. Said some of the best players in the world right now are defenders who get forward. It's a team shape. Are you adding to your team shape? So I kind of like the idea of players switching around. But when they, as they start getting older, and we know some really good, really good centre mids now, I'm getting a couple of emails from players and their parents saying, should we start thinking about college now? You know, which is another podcast completely. Uh, and I think I said to some of these girls who are like seniors in high school, but it's old. by the time you get to being a senior, you should know you have two positions that you're super strong in. Um, I always say around about 60, 40. I'm a fantastic five and I'm a pretty decent two or three as a defensive player. You know, and if you're an attacking player, I'm a 70% striker, but I can also play 30% really well as an outside winger in a certain shape. And again, it comes down to the coaching and the shape of the team, the tactics they're playing. Um, but, you know, there's players I know that can play a really good six, a really good eight, a really good 10 or a really good five uh, because they're willing to explore and be open to something different. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think... I think where you have players, like you mentioned earlier, and you say to them, right, well, you're going to play here. And they're like, oh, I've never played there. Oh, you know, a lot of that comes from fear. And the fear is that they're going to make a mistake or they're going to do something because they're not used to a position and that could cost them the game. So what? I mean, so what? And, and you know, we have to think about the environment that we're, we're, try, we're, we're trying to create players who can express themselves and be creative. We're trying to create richer environments. But you can't do that and create and, and, and create an atmosphere that has that, um, that level of kind of expression and freedom and uh, creativity if you're going to punish people when they give the ball away. You know, the whole risk-reward thing again. When I'm playing upfield and I'm trying to thread the ball through for somebody making a forward run, there's a good chance it's going to get picked off. You know, if you keep punishing me for, 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 or telling me off for trying it, what am I going to do eventually? I'm, gonna, I'm just going to stop trying it. And then you, you lose all creativity. You lose all kind of uh, players that have that kind of uh, insight and that ability to see different things and be able to read the game. You know, that kind of vision, you lose it. Yeah. And sadly, some players lose the passion. Like, I've had a really bad experience because yeah. someone played me in a different position without coaching me. And then told me off or yelled at me and I felt bad. So I don't want to go back to playing soccer anymore. And, and it happened, especially at that age group. Yeah. Those young girls that want to try something new. And, you know, there's some girls that just maybe should be out and out strikers or out and out defenders. They just got what it is. So, yeah, I mean, you know, there's no, I don't think the answer is a certain age. I just think it depends on the team, the coach, the environment and the player. Yeah. I, is that player I open to be criticized when they're not doing a great job in a new position. It takes time. It's development, though. I mean, there shouldn't, there shouldn't be any criticism of youth players. First of all, professional players that don't reach peak performance until they're 28, 29. So why are we expecting this 13-year-old to play a game, 100% ball retention, never giving a ball away, uh, creating four key passes with two assists and a goal? Like, come on, seriously? Let the kids play. Let them have fun. Let them move the ball. You want them to understand the game. So there has to be a tactical plan. And tactical planning with, with players at, at an appropriate age is what's going to help them learn the game. So it's an important part of it. But, you know, all right, you get off the field because you gave that ball away. Uh, ridiculous. 
you know, why not speak to the player about possible other solutions and and then give them another opportunity next time in that position, see what they do with their decision-making. Yeah, a That's, good coach would give them the tools. It's far so, more okay. beneficial. Yeah. You know, it's far more it's, beneficial. You know, I think- no one is perfect. You know, you see players all the time, um, like you're, you're a, a young kid will go and Google Messi's best goals ever. He makes mistakes too. There's a there's actually a Google reel of him making terrible mistakes. But he's, you know, and he learns from those mistakes. I mean, the amount of times that we've been coaching together or I've been coaching and you've been coaching and a player makes a mistake, you don't take him off the field. Yeah, it's ridiculous. You can say to him on the field, hey, maybe next time, there is there another option? Can we connect with the six? Can we connect with this player instead of trying that? They tried something and it didn't work. How many times have we tried something as coaches, like a session, you know, realize four minutes into the session. <laughs> it's not going well. It's not going to work. <laughs> right. I don't understand it. The girls don't right. understand right. it. The players, whatever. Yeah. So we make mistakes as coaches and we can't expect players not to make mistakes. Yeah. I mean, it's the, it's the winning. It's the winning that leads to the animosity. You know, a player missed the chance. Instead of focusing on the fact that they were involved in the build-up, instead of focusing on the fact that they found space in the tight box, instead of fo- uh, focusing on, on the fact that they were in the right position, we're focusing on the fact that they didn't hit the net. So why are we not talking to them about the contact? Why are we talking about their body position? Why are we not talking about them maybe taking a shot a little bit earlier? Why are we, you know, why are we so upset that they didn't score? That's not fixing the problem. Yeah, you tend to focus on the negatives more than it's crazy. Great job getting into box. That was a great run. Your first touch was great. All that let you down was the finish. Never mind. Great job, though. Keep trying. It'll come. I would say in my place, if you want to try something new on the field, keep trying. If you try 99 times and it goes wrong, that hundredth time it's going to work and it's going to be great. You'll feel confident about it. You know, don't give up and be open to make mistakes. One of the things that I say a lot to my players is I see what you were trying there. You know, it didn't come off. Okay. But I see what you were trying. You saw it. You saw that forward run and you tried to clip that ball in, you know, and then I'll ask a question, you know, why do you think that ball was cut out? That is a little bit too low. All right. Well, maybe next time we could try it a little bit higher. Could you maybe set it away from the player a little bit as well? Maybe put some, some curl on it. So you kind of tiny, turn it tiny, in between. Tiny, tiny little measurements. Right. Now yeah. you've come up with a solution. I've given you another solution. So I've, I've basically helped you to kind of think, okay, well, that's a good idea. I could put curl on. What else could I do? You know, and I'm basically trying to get you to think about what you could do differently next time. I'm not going to pull you off because you gave a ball away. You know, um, it's, it's crazy. I think another thing to think about as well, um, and I'll make this the last point uh, with uh, changing player positions is, you know, why not have a fullback play as a, as a winger? You know, first of all, when they're playing, their attacking phase, when they're high up the field, they're like a winger. But then also, when they're defending, they're playing against wingers. So if I learn to play as a winger, when I'm now as a fullback playing against the winger, I know what the winger wants to do. I know where they want to go. I know, you know what it is they're trying to achieve. And if I understand all of that, because I've been in your position, I've played in your position, it makes it really easy for me to cut that out. You know, the, the antagonist kind of side of the position is is important. Um, we, there's, a, there's this kind of joke about goalkeepers always want to be a striker. But who understands? I know two of them. <laughs> <laughs> who, understands, who understands a striker more than a goalkeeper? Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, the, goal, the goalkeeper's there in front of that striker trying to read what they're going to be doing and trying to, you know, 
Now, if I've played as a striker and I know what I want to do to score, then when I'm as a goalkeeper, I know what the striker's trying to do, what they're thinking, and I know how to kind of snuff that out, you know? So I think there is something to say for kind of antagonist positions. Um, yeah. I mean, the, the to finish off, the girls that I'm working with, and like the, kind, the greatest thing about me working with you right now is that you have goalkeeper's hindsight. hindsight. So when we're working on you scoring from out wide or we're working on you receiving the ball back to goal, turn around, where would you be in that position? And I got the girl to move like some traffic cones. Where would you be in that position as a goalkeeper? Which means what? There. So the ball should go where? Well, ideally it should go in the far corner because that's where the goalkeeper's showing me. So it's great having these girls who are pretty decent level goalkeepers. We're talking like varsity and first team. Just to go back to a point you made there um, earlier about goalkeepers kind of understanding goalkeepers' positioning, and so you know where should they be? Where should they be kind of putting the ball as a striker? It's what they say about uh, about strikers. Strikers make the best crosses because they understand where they want the ball because they understand the timing of their movement and what they want to attack, and you know when they should where they should meet the ball. So yeah, yeah. Um, it's. I mean, I'm, I'm working with a young man who's a fantastic technical pass with the ball like from out wide he puts in some very dangerous crosses and I put the kind of cross in that as a defender you don't want to have to deal with but as a striker you get super excited about put those crosses in the box and he's like nine times out of ten he puts the ball in the box so as an old-fashioned five I love because I'm just going to jump into it and put my head on it and rise like a salmon but then you know when he puts the balls in it alone I'm like one bad touch and that goes in the back of the net off my leg or it's a handball now imagine imagine the same kid has has never played as a centre-back so how will he understand what a, a defender doesn't like about a cross? You know, so the, the both sides of the of, of the ball are really important. Um, and so, you know, to answer the question, we've gone the long way around it. To answer the question, I I, I think we've gone the right way around it. I think. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's a long, it's the long way, but it's the right yeah. way for sure. Yeah, I yeah. think um, you want to make sure the you know take it player by player. Does the player have the understanding? Does the player, um, you know, have they played in the antagonist position before? Um, you know, do they have the mental capacity to learn something, to learn a new position? Do they have the emotional control to learn a new position? All of the pillars are technically, what are they like? Physically, what are they like? You know, socially, which doesn't kind of really, I mean, it can, fact, it can it factor can, into it, 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 not so much. It's probably the least one you want to worry about. You know, the psychology yeah. in terms of the behavior and, and, and that yeah. kind of thing. You know, if they're playing in a position that they're new to, but they really want to try. Yeah. And if they're making mistakes, how is that going to affect their behavior? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, are they going to shy Especially away? Especially for defenders. If, you can see, if you're a defender right. and you can see the goal and it's your fault, emotionally, how do you react afterwards? Right. You know. I mean, physically, you could charge into the next person and slide tackle them because you're angry. But emotionally, you know, how are you going right. to deal with that? Right my defender and I conceded a goal. Yeah. You know, yeah. so yeah, it's a uh, take it player by player. Um, yeah. you know, there shouldn't be an age restriction on I it. Think, it should be, I think yeah. players should play everywhere until we start to bring the tactics into the game. 13, 14, personally, that's just my opinion, you know, total football. That's what they're doing. That's what they're doing. Holland, isn't it? Everybody plays every position, you know, re- position rotations and everything play everywhere, you know, get a great understanding of the whole game and the whole picture. And then start to, as you've, once you've gone through your growth, as you mentioned earlier, once you've gone through your growth and your maturation and, you know, then we can start to work out, you know, what physically suits you better, what tactically you understand better, you know, what you've got the emotional control, the psychology for and, and, and go. Absolutely. Go man. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. Yeah. Good answers.
well, I said, we went the long way around it, but you know, there's no shortcut to it. There's no yes or no answer. Mm-hmm. It's all theory and practice and theory and practice. Absolutely. And again, I think you hit it now on the head there to finish this off. Um, play in every position you can enjoy your game as much as you can. The yep. more, you know, the more you're going to play. Absolutely. You know, and everyone's every, every athlete is a little different. Mm-hmm. So um, <laughs> don't forget, you can find us on our social media platforms, a nine soccer, elevate soccer and obviously 4.4 miles yep and on twitter i am a nine soccer and the uh the podcast is found at 4.4 m remember it's all words no numbers thanks very much everyone have a good time speak to you soon see you later bye-bye take care